1: So we know he rose again from the dead, and I'm so glad that he did because my sins are now fully paid for. All right, he also ascended into heaven. So we know that he's born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. We know that he died and he rose again. He did miracles, but he also ascended into heaven. Now, obviously, he had to do that. But let's look at it a little bit further here in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. It says, Now when he had spoken these things, meaning Christ, while they watched, they're looking at Christ. He's concluded what he wanted to say. He, Christ, was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And so now they're looking at this Christ, who now they do believe is the resurrected Christ. They're now watching their resurrected Christ ascend up into heaven. And, of course, we know that the same way that he left, he's going to come back again. And we'll talk about that for a moment. So here's the question, all right? If I believe that Jesus Christ was God because he was born of a virgin because he lived a perfect, sinless life, because he performed these miracles, because he died and he rose again, and he even left the earth, what in the world is Christ doing now in heaven? Now, I wish I had many weeks, maybe many months, to open up the whole life of Christ and take you through all the Gospels and tie it into some of the Old Testament teachings, but I want to reduce it to just three for just a moment, three things that Christ is doing now. Remember, he's alive forevermore, he is in heaven, and here are three things. First of all, he's preparing a place for us. We know that that says it in Scripture, that He went to prepare a place for us. I love to be able to tell that to people because if He created the earth in six days and then He rested and He's been gone for 2,000 years, I can only imagine what beautiful mansion that He's preparing for me. But He also pleads our case with the Heavenly Father against the accusations of Satan. I think that's very important. Now let me explain something. If I was to ask you, have any of you got involved in any particular sin, or you've, you've you've had a failure in the last couple of weeks, you told a lie, you didn't tell the truth, you lost your temper, you gossiped with somebody, you had uh, worry in your life because that's a sin. If you had any of that kind of concept going on, wouldn't you say that's a sin? Well, here's what's going on while you're living this life as a Christian. You have Satan up in heaven, and in a certain sense, Satan could be doing this. He could be saying, look at over there. Your son, Stan, has did this, he did this, he did this, and he did that, looking to God now to perhaps remove me from eternal life, send me to hell when I die, all the accusations of why I do not deserve to be God's child, and Satan is putting that accusation to God the Father. And so the good news is, is I do have an attorney next to me. I have the best attorney ever, because it's God himself in the flesh. Now what Jesus Christ does, is he looks to God the Father now, and he hears all that Satan is saying about me. And here's what he does not say, folks. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say, you know, stand over here. He's really not as bad as Satan is saying. He's really a good guy. He helps people, gives money, does all these, uh, these nice things out here. So listen, give, give your son, Stan, a chance. You know, what, you know what the Lord says? The Lord says, you know what Satan said about Stan, God the Father? He's a lot worse than even what Satan said. He's a horrible sinner. He's a wicked sinner. But I want you to know that I already took all this sin on myself and I died again and I rose again and I forgave him of all sin. Now what you have is the perfect Christ going to the perfect judge on our behalf so that we have a salvation that is totally secure. And he's doing that for you and me in heaven and will continue to do that... ...as the advocate for us because he says he's acquitted because I've acquitted him. And the righteous judge will do that. And you could read more about that in First and Second Peter, etc. The third thing that he's doing is that he sent the Holy Spirit to be in every believer. Now I know that's not right for you today... ...because we're going to cover a little bit more on the Holy Spirit next week. But I want you to know that the neat thing about this... is many neat things, but when he left to ascend up to heaven... He knew, again, that we are personal beings, that he created us to have a personal relationship with God. So to do that, in his place, he sent the Holy Spirit. And so that Holy Spirit is now inside of us. And so in a sense, you could say, I'm a partaker of God's divine nature through the Holy Spirit. Christ in me, the hope of glory through the Holy Spirit. So God lives inside of me. Now, that doesn't mean that I am God. I don't act godly all the time. But I can tell you that I have the Holy Spirit in me all the time. And I just wish I'd let him influence me all the time. So that's what he's done. So the big question is now, what is he going to do? And I'm going to reduce it to one thing just to help you look forward to the soon coming of the Lord. And that would be he will return bodily to the earth. He'll return bodily to the earth. Although Jesus went to heaven, that's not the end of the story. Remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 9 that I read to you about how these men watched him being taken up out of their sight? The very next verse in verse 10 says this. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? In other words, wringing your hands perhaps, thinking that he's gone, never to be uh, seen again. It says the same Jesus who was taken up from you into the heaven will so come in like manner. Would you underline that in your Bible? Just like he was taken up bodily. It wasn't a mystical, he didn't evaporate. It wasn't like watching Star Trek and he kind of just disintegrates. He was taken up. And in the same like manner, he's going to come back again, just as you saw him go up. I think that's tremendous comfort. Now, some people would say, when is he going to come back? It depends on how you interpret scripture. There's some great people that believe he's going to come back much later. Some believe he's going to come back very soon. And there's good people and good scripture on both sides, but... Uh, My belief and the study that I've done, I'm embracing at this time that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. And when he comes, he won't come to touch the earth. When he comes, he's going to come and meet us in the clouds and we'll be caught up with him. And for seven years, there'll be the worst tribulation on this earth. And then Christ is going to come and touch the earth, then come back and set up his rule and reign for a thousand years. And then the earth will be totally destroyed. He'll recreate. And then we'll have forever and ever with the Lord. Forever and ever. Now, folks, I... I'd like to share this with you that I really believe we are living in the last days, in my opinion. I believe we do this, that there are no more prophecies that have to be fulfilled by Christ before he could come back again. I don't believe that. I believe they've all been fulfilled for him to come back this time. Are there still unfulfilled prophecies? Yes, there is. What would be some unfulfilled prophecies before Christ would come for us? I believe one would be that there has to be a one world government with the one world ruler setting himself up in Jerusalem. I believe that has to occur. That hasn't happened yet. I believe there has to be a one world currency. I believe there has to be a one world religious system. So I believe with a one world government and a one world currency and a one world religion, I think these things are coming together. I'm not a sensationalist and I'm certainly not a... um, My whole world isn't to be a student of prophecy. But on the other hand, I've had enough study and so, so have you that we very well could be, and we can speculate all we want, and people have been doing that for decades and perhaps even centuries, but it's quite possible that we are living in the last days. When you talk about what's going on with our currency, you talk about how the euro dollar has been coming together, and then now you see the so-called crash of the stock market or however you want to define that, and now you see how that has affected various countries around the world. And I imagine the next couple of weeks you're going to hear about what's going on in China as it's now rattling their cage. So pretty soon you're going to see an economic crunch all over the world and there could be a coming together of some of the world's leaders to talk about the economic condition of the world. And so they're going to come together and try to figure out how they can solve the economic crisis of the world. So whether it's a one world currency, and you can define currency in a lot of different ways, but there is this one worldness that is coming together that you cannot deny. Now once you get that together, somehow you're going to see various powers come together because it has to be controlled by some leader. And of course we can go further into all of this. And then you talk about one world religion. I think it's starting by this concept of what is known as tolerance. Where that we're to tolerate. You don't bother me about your religion, and I won't bother you about my religion. And so they're going to try to have an amalgamation of tolerance. Unless you take a stand for Christianity, and you say going to heaven is only by faith in Jesus Christ. As the Lord God who died and rose again. That's when all tolerance will stop. And that's why during the tribulation, there's going to be so many Christians that are going to die. And you can go into the mark of the beast. All I can tell you is simply this. Is that there's going to be the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I believe he is God, and I do. And I believe he was virgin born, and I do. And I believe that he lived a sinless life, and I do. And I believe that he performed miracles, including the resurrection, and I do. If I believe that this same Jesus is the one who died and rose again from the dead for my sins, and I do. I also have to believe that this same Jesus is going to come back for me. And I would like to think it's going to be in my lifetime. But remember... We're not looking so much to be taken out of this horrible world as bad as it is. And some of you looking for the Lord to come because you're in some great pain of affliction, socially or physically even. The purpose that we look forward to the soon coming of the Lord is that we want to see the Lord. So I'm not looking for a rapture. I'm not looking for this whole world to be set right All I want to do is I want to be with the person of Jesus Christ. And how that happens, I look into his eyes and I look forward to him coming. So he will return bodily to this earth. So we've talked about who he is, what he's done, okay, what he's doing now. And now I'd like to end this by saying, what does all this mean to you and me at this point of our life? What does this mean to us? And this is very important because... See if you agree with me. I I don't know, but I'm going to put this query in front of you. See if you might agree with me. Young people, you can do the same. Is it possible that there are Christians who are true Christians? I don't mean in a religious sense because they're non-Jews and they're non-Atheists or they're non-Muslim, but they're true Christians because they believe that Jesus is the Lord who died and rose again. In other words, they're true Christians. But they know that as a fact. They know it as a doctrine. They might even embrace it as truth. Okay, But they haven't allowed that truth to affect and change their life in any way. Is it possible that they're authentic Christians, but yet as a politician, they fail in their, their lifestyle? Have you known anyone like that? Have you seen some people that purport to really know Christ? And they really do, but they're pastors, and they have failed morally or financially. Greed. Or maybe you've known some true professional person that was a really strong Christian, but they backed away from their biblical convictions of what Scripture had to say, and now their life is crumbling all around them. how about those who are persons, just nobody famous, just a person, or a parent, or a partner, maybe your partner, that said they were a Christian, but at the same time their life doesn't back it up. And so while I want to give you these great truths of our faith and I want us to be rock solid in our doctrine, I want us to be so rock solid in it that we know that that doctrine is there to give us a more sure word to stand on, but it should change our life. We ought to be grateful for the doctrine. I'm grateful for what Jesus Christ chose to reveal about himself, but he revealed a whole bunch more. He did all of that so we would respond to those accurate truths. So now you ask yourself, what, what do I respond I know I've given you four here, but I want to give you a couple extra. So jot these down real quick. Here's how he wants us to respond to him. First of all, he wants us to respond to him in complete trust. It's an intimacy. It's not just a head knowledge about who God is and who Christ is. He wants us to trust him with all of our heart, soul, and mind that we really know who we're trusting. He wants us to have that intimacy through belief. The second, he wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. He's given us all these truths to reveal that He is a very worthy God of our love. So He wants us to have that intimacy with Him, that we would love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. So we know that we're doing it not just pure emotion or pure intellect, but it's all coming together. So He wants us to trust Him, but He wants us to love Him. The third thing He wants us to do is to obey Him. If we truly love Him, we will keep His commandments. I don't have to prove my love to Him by doing commandments. I just authentically love Him. And the outpour of that will be, I'll do whatever He wants me to do because I love Him. And the fourth thing, part of the obedience part, would be this. He wants us to share Him. Now, I don't like the word share so much because we kind of keep and you have part of Him and I'll have part of Him. But really what it is is that we love Him with all of our heart. We trust Him. But now we want other people to know about Him. So... You can have all of these facts, but if we don't love him, we don't trust him, we don't share him, we don't obey him, that I might really begin to question, do you really believe those facts? Or are you just so hung up on having so much doctrine and academics and theology and you pride yourself on how you know all the languages, but yet when you're confronted with testing in your life, it's not there. And so what we want to do is bring those two together. We want to be a godly politician, a godly pastor, a godly person, a godly professional person, a godly partner, a godly parent. And how we do that is let those truths sink into our life. So let me give you a couple of those. First of all, we are are completely forgiven. Do you know what that means to be completely forgiven of all of our trespasses? The intentional sins, the unintentional sins, the big sins, the little sins, just to know you've been forgiven. That you've been put in a position you were in before you ever fell. Man, if that doesn't bring tears to our eyes to know that God, who is so holy and just, would take me, who am so unholy, and He says through Christ and His work on the cross, you're trusting in Him, I forgive you. The second one is we can have rest in Him. Man, to know that I don't have to work, I don't have to do this stuff, because He says His yoke is easy and His burden is light. So I can live my Christian life not based merely on a series of do's and don'ts. And you better do this or don't do that. I do it because I love the Lord and I'm going to rest in Him that I'm just going to follow His Word, yield to His Spirit, and trust the results up to Him. Number three, I get a new identity. If I really believe these facts and I trust Him and I love Him, I get a whole new new identity. Folks, listen for this for a moment. I don't know how much you know about the history of Hawaii but there were people who would come to Hawaii, whether they were whalers who would jump ship, or whether they were business people that came here, or just people traveling, they would jump ship. There are people who came to Hawaii for one purpose. Now, not everybody now, don't go there, but they came here because they wanted to reinvent themselves. They said, I want to get away from that other life that I have. I'm on this new island, it's lush with tremendous amount of food and flowers and flora and a new life, and the people are so loving, loving here, I want to reinvent myself by coming here. The problem is, because they didn't have Christ in them, after they got here on the island for a while, what did they reinvent themselves into? Someone just as bad as they were before because there was no heart change, or someone that was even worse than they were before. So how you reinvent yourself is you come to Christ, and when you do, you get a brand new identity. You get a do-over, folks, in your business, perhaps even in your marriage. You can start again. And God says that is happening in Christ. That's why I love him with all my heart, soul, and mind. I'm loving not the concept of Christ. I'm loving God in the flesh who revealed himself in the words. I get a new identity. Number four, we have all we need to live the Christian life. Everything that I need to serve the Lord is provided for me in Christ. So whatever he asks me to do, I get the ability to do. So I never have to worry about, will I measure up? I'll always have more to be able to do all the good works that he wants me to do. And finally, we have a great opportunity. Look at the verse, if you will. Great opportunity. God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's how I get to heaven through Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That means I have something to do. My question to you is, are you bringing people to Christ? That's what it's saying. He's reconciled us to him through Christ. He's given us that same ministry to bring others to Christ and to God. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. So I have a ministry. And I have the Word. So the Word is to share it with others. And that's my ministry to help them to get to God. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. So if you're on the outside of the faith, be reconciled to God. If you're inside the faith, take that ministry of reconciliation and through the Word, share it with others. Now, folks, that gives you another purpose for living. How excited that is! I can look at this and say that I have a new identity. And now I have a new opportunity to be able to serve Him. Let me share with you what's happening in the next two weeks. Next week we're going to unpack a little bit about the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to encourage you to have people here because there's such a question about who is this Holy Ghost? Who is this Holy Spirit? And so you don't hear a lot of teaching on that and I'm going to talk about four parts of the Holy Spirit so you would know that. But I'm going to the final truth and that final truth, number five, is going to be salvation by faith alone. And the staff is praying that we would together as a faith family, because we know that the Bible is God's mind on paper, we know that God is the only true God, and Jesus Christ is God revealed in himself to us, that we now would be faithful in inviting our friends. That particular Sunday, that's two weeks from today, We're going to give a message that's going to unpack the only way to get to heaven. So if you have been wanting to give the gospel to someone, but you didn't know how to do that, or you weren't sure how to open and close a conversation, you just bring them because that Sunday, what we're going to do is open up the word and we're going to clearly and correctly and compassionately and courageously give a simple plan of salvation as the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation by faith alone. And I encourage you to do that. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Well, you heard a lot today about Christ, most of which you probably have heard before, but now you have a little bit of a, of a handle on how you can share it with other people. So, what are you going to do with what you heard today? Well, the first thing you want to do is to trust in Christ as your Savior. Remember, all of that that we know about Christ is so that He would reconcile us to God. He wants to bring us to God. He wants us to go to heaven. He wants us to have an intimacy with him. He wants us to glorify him. And so what you need to do is to respond and say, yes, I believe that Jesus is God. And now I'm going to place my faith alone in Christ as the one who died and rose again from the dead. He said to do that. And I'm going to do it right now. So, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. I know that you are God and that you died and rose again. You lived a perfect sinless life and you will forgive me of all my sin if I come to you in faith. And so, Lord, in obedience to you, I am now trusting Christ as the one who died and rose again. I believe he is my forever savior. I'm receiving him as the forgiver of my sin. That's your response. Now, you don't come to him promising him that you'll start this or stop that. You don't say, I'll trust you, Lord, but I'll also do my good works so that I can stay in your family. Nope. He says it's by faith alone in Christ. I'd like to pray for you if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior yet. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, my praying for you won't get you into heaven, but if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, it will. Is there anyone in here by a silent uplifted hand, you would indicate that you're now ready to trust Christ as your Savior and right now in your heart, with your mind, you are calling upon the Lord as your personal Savior. And you're saying, Lord, I believe you are now my Savior. I'm receiving you as my Savior by faith. Is there anyone at all? Would you slip up your hand? Anyone at all? Okay. The rest of you, my question would be, do you trust him in your daily walk? Are you worried about something now that you cannot control? Maybe it's time for you to give it to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever you're doing, you're going to bring out your character into my life. And so I'm going to trust you. I'm trusting you with my health. I'm going to trust you with my finances. As much as it's dwindling through my investments, I know that it. That I will never starve. A child of God doesn't have to starve. You will take care of me. I'll be more frugal, but Lord, I know you'll take care of me. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you for a future maid. I'm trusting you to help me get through life. I'm trusting you with the problem with my kids right now, Lord. I'm, I want you to take care of that. I'll do my part by obeying you, but Lord, I, I have to re- leave the results up to you. How about some of you that have not really loved the Lord with all of your heart? I mean, really love him first and foremost, you know, you're really not ready to love someone else until you really have your relationship right with the Lord. If not, then that other person has become the Lord of your life, and you don't want that. You want to love the Lord and experience His love so you can love them appropriately. Now, about obedience. Has the Lord been speaking to you about some things in your life that need to be corrected? The use of your time, maybe your tongue, maybe your talent, maybe your treasures, maybe the temple? So think about it. Are you in full obedience to Him? And then as far as sharing Christ, you know, God allows us to connect to people all over the island, neighbors, family, workers, clubs, teams, committees, just the people on the street when we go to the store even. Are we passionate about them? Do we see them as lost and going to hell? And possibly, did God bring them into our life because He wants us to be the missionary to them? I pray that the next couple of weeks we would be really busy about inviting folks, planning something we can do special for that Sunday, that we could take them to lunch afterwards and engage them in a conversation. Let's pray for those people that you're going to talk to. How many of you know someone right now, don't have to mention their name, but you know they don't know the Lord and you'd like for us to just pray that they would come to faith and that you're going to invite them in the next couple of weeks to hear the message of the gospel. Would you raise your hand? How many of you will do that? A neighbor, a friend, someone you work with? Just a special invitation. All right, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you'll help all of us to be alert, gospel-centered to those that don't know you as Savior. And that, Father, we know now who you are. We know what you did, what you're going to do, and why that's important to our life today. But now, Lord, help us to respond, not just to have a head full of facts and a notebook full of, of verses, but have a lifestyle that reflects the person of Christ. And so, Lord, we yield now to you. We allow you to live your life out through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we're preparing for communion now, as you can well see. And this is a great time for us to do that. So as we now think about the Lord, we studied about him today. Now we're going to look at these elements, and as we look at the the bread as it represents the body of Christ, and the and the juice as it represents the, the blood of Christ, let's think about this Christ whom we're at his supper and communing with. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to come and have this moment of communion. And that, Father, it couldn't have happened at a better time because we're thinking about you. We learn today who you are and how important you are to us. And so, Lord, I depend upon the Holy Spirit to bring about a changed life in each of us. And as we commune with you now, we are showing to each other and back to you that we do believe in your death We believe enough in your resurrection because we know that you're going to come back for us. So Lord, let us now partake of this communion with a clean and a pure heart. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's more at makeitclear.org. Thank you and remember to make it clear.